Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Today's sermon I've titled The Trinity and Us, um, and we're going to discuss how and why it's so fundamental as believers that we have an understanding. It might not need to be the deepest, most profound theological understanding, but we do need a, an understanding driven by a hope to know our God more as believers of the Trinity, because believe it or not, it impacts everything we do. Um, and depending on what denomination you might have grown up in, or you might be new in your faith and, and, and Avant Life's been the, the only church you've gone to, whatever it is, there's, there's differences of expression and why we focus on other things and not this and that, different styles and order of service and liturgy, and, and, and all of this can get lost uh, in the doing that we, we forget that there's a reason and there's a purpose by everything that we've been asked to do as believers. And this is really defined by what we talked about last week. And so I'm going to do a recap of last week to get us all up on the same page. If you weren't here last week, this will help you a little bit. It won't do enough to get you where you need to be. So make sure you go back and you watch last week's. It's on our YouTube channel. It will bless you. Uh, it'll, it'll pretzel your brain a bit, but that's okay. I was joking with, um, with Emma and some of our friends yesterday. I think the doctrine of the Trinity, having to teach on it, one, I don't know how I got it. Uh, <laughs> someone had to do it. Uh, but, but it's probably the only teaching that, as a, as a pastor and a teacher, that I myself feel sometimes like just leaving the stage because my brain has become a pretzel, trying to, trying to repeat what we know is truth. And the reason for that is, is the Bible says that it's such a profound mystery. And so at the center of the universe, this is the recap. We said this, and it's, you need to understand this. There is a relationship. It is fundamental for us as believers to understand that this is a foundational truth. At the center of the universe is a community. It's out of this relationship that we were created, you and I created. And, and just as importantly, out of that relationship, you and I were redeemed. That community is the Trinity. And so at the center of all reality... Not the side, not like some sort of, you know, multiverse, some sort of like fringe. At the center of our very reality is God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to just take time just to look at this in application. We've got to stop as believers neglecting that reality. The earth is not the center of the universe. What you're doing in your day-to-day life is not, I'm going to say this, everyone's going to be, that's so unfair. It is not the most important thing in the universe. We are partakers of the gift of life that has been graciously given to us to partake in a relationship that is in the center of reality. What we see around us, what we do, the very systems and structures of our very beings and our community and our society. They're reflections, created thoughts and systems by the reality that at the center of our universe is a relationship. And if done right, when we think about it, when we study it, when we look into it, when we get excited about it, it should be invigorating. I said before it can make your brain hurt a little, but what I've discovered is the more I look into it, yes, you need to take time to go and, and somehow, you know, 
decompress and allow it to soak in and set in and get your head around it slowly. But every time I've gone there and I've studied it more, I'm left with more excitement because I realize I can spend my whole life. And, the, and, and Augustine did. The, the, the great theologian did. Spend his whole life trying to discover the mystery of the Trinity and still yet there is always more. And isn't that amazing that, that we discuss this, that the Trinity and how we arrive there as a church is getting our heads around that this is not the human thinking of God or the human representation of God or the human revelation of God. This is God describing to us what God looks like. This is God's revelation of himself. That is, the, that is the God's thoughts of God. How privileged we are that he would let us in on that. Because if you think about every other God that we, we see humans create, one are usually in the image of man, whilst we were created in the image of God. Right? So when we create things, when humans create things, we beget humans. We talked about this. When God begets God, we have God. That's why we have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternal. That's why God gave His only begotten, not only created. All right? But when we create things, like we're going to do it in our image. And so we see gods that we've created, and they're always humans with superpowers or, or like super patience or something like that, right? That's a, that's a superpower anyway. And we define them by just giving them human, human characteristics on a super level. But when we look at the Trinity, the problem we face, why it hurts so much, is that God is giving us God characteristics on a God level, and our human brains go, what the? So these are the three basic truths. We discussed that the doctrine of the Trinity wasn't designed in hopes of resolving the, the, the concept of the Trinity, but preserving the three-in-one foldness of our God. And so these are three basic truths that it, it preserves. One, there is one God and only one. Two, this God not only exists, but exists eternally in three distinct persons. We discussed that exists and subsists is an important way. And if you, we don't have time to go through that, but last week you can go watch and, and learn. And number three, the three persons are equally divine in essence and attributes. This is very fundamental to us. Now, we showed you a, a triangle with a circle and, and we discussed what happens when we, when we let go of one or two of these truths. The trick is, it's to hold all three of these truths simultaneously. If we do not do this, if we, if we hold on to two but neglect one, we are now outside the biblical view of who God is. He's self-revelation. And you're a heretic. So I'm going to say that word as often as I can. So that's the recap of the doctrine of the Trinity. We'll do it quickly again. There's one God and only one. This God not only exists, but exists eternally in three distinct persons. And the three persons are equally divine in essence and attributes. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity. We're going to discuss now, and I mentioned last week, the roles because each of them play a role within this threefoldness, and their roles are important. I mentioned that the Father creates a plan, God the Son, Jesus Christ, He implements the plan, and the Holy Spirit administers the plan. You can see there's a, there's a divine order of things that takes place. God the Father is the planner. 
God the Son is the implementer and the Holy Spirit is the administrator. And all of a sudden we think, wow, isn't that a great business model? Well, as if we came up with that type. Didn't I, didn't I say that our earth is but a reflection of the reality, which is that there is a relationship at the core of the universe? These things we thought we were so smart to come up with, they're like a, they're like a cheap knockoff of the real thing. God the Father is love. He's the source and master designer of the plan of salvation. It is the Father that sent His Son to fulfill His plan for redemption of humanity. He's responsible for devising the grand purposes and plans that take place through all of creation and the redemption story. That is the role of the Father. Ephesians 1, Paul really discusses this concept. Now, his role is to to plan. He is the father of love, the source and master designer. In obedience to the father, God the son, Jesus took on the form of flesh and died on the cross that through his blood, the world might be saved from sin. See, Jesus bridges the gap between father and mankind. He is the high priest. Don't you love that? The mediator for his people. He is the savior of the world and the head of the church. Imagine having that at the bottom of your email. You know, you see the show like, oh, I got a, you know, a doctorate in this. Jesus is like, I am the great high priest, the mediator for his people. He is this, I'm the savior of the world. I'm the head of not Avant Life Church alone, but the church, the global church, the holy nation of God. And so although the Son is fully God, He nonetheless takes His lead from the Father and seeks to glorify the Father in all that He does. We read about this in John 8. Jesus, He teaches about this. He, he literally talks about this. He annoys the Pharisees with this. You know, prior to the New Testament, there's only a handful, I think only twice really, where we see God the Father mentioned in that capacity. But we can see by the way the psalmists or the prophets wrote of his involvement in Israel's story that he has the attribute of father. The Pharisees really didn't like to use these terminologies, but Jesus on occasions would provoke them to acknowledge that God is the father of Israel. Therefore, he's their father and he's his father because he says, I only do what I see the father do. All authority here on earth and in heaven is given to me by my Father. The Holy Spirit sent from the Father convicts, teaches, leads and comforts. He sanctifies and dwells in the hearts of God's people. The Spirit empowers and enables people to live according to the will of the Father. I love that thought. Empowers us to live accordingly, to live according to the will and purposes of the Father. See, this is very important. I took time to talk about this because we identify with Christ, the anointed. And the Bible's imagery of this is that he is the anointing oil in which the Holy Spirit flame burns upon. But the process is to illuminate sanctification, not to remain the same. It's so that we would live a holy. Pastor Emma preached about this. Holy. 
something like reverent towards, like too many of us treat our relationship with God as a, as a simple blank check to write every time we try, to, we try to deal with the guilt in our life. And we're sorry, but we're not repentant. See, repentance leads. Not sorry leads. Repentance. Repentance is, yes, feeling sorry, being sorry, but also changing so that you wouldn't repeat the past mistakes. I remember growing up and always hearing that, well, King David, what allowed him to be so blessed and so favoured was that he had a heart after God's and that he rarely committed the same mistake twice, that he learnt. He had a repentant heart, one that wanted to be changed, wanted to be purified and cleansed and aligned with the heart of God. That should be the cry of our hearts. And even better, we've been empowered by whom? The Holy Spirit. Enabled to achieve this through his process. Paul writes in Corinthians 13, sorry, Corinthians, yes, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, says this The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Be with you all. Amen. That grace, that imputed righteousness sent by the love of God, the Father within the communion of the Holy Spirit. Come on. This is our promise. The Father creates a plan. The Son implements the plan. And the Holy Spirit administers the plan. So we get to the Trinity and us part. How does that outwork in our life? So while the Father and the Son remain distinct persons, they work together for what? For the salvation of humanity. That's so beautiful. The Father reveals to us the principle of the Godhead. So He's revealed to us as the principle of the Godhead, the, the one that is the main, we've talked about this, the strategy, the, I keep forgetting the word here. I try to avoid it. Strategist, there we go. Your eyes help, babe. We meant to be together. He's the one who plans the work of salvation, sends his son to carry out the work. I love this. The son pleads for us in the presence of the father and the father forgives us because of the son's intercession on our behalf. This is very important. It's very important. It's why we're enabled through the Holy Spirit to pray through Christ to the father. See, when we identify in Christ, His righteousness is imputed upon us. Our filthy rags aren't seen. His righteousness is seen. See, we're encouraged to pray to the Father and enabled to do so because the Son has united us to Him in His death and resurrection. This is important because often when we're like, hey, Who wants to say yes to Jesus? Who wants to invite Jesus into their life? Who wants to surrender their life into the perfect will of the Father? We do this by inviting Jesus into our life, by identifying in His death and resurrection, His life. We we cast aside our old man and we become a new creation. Our, Our broken human nature is laid in the grave and we're given a new beginning. It's the good news. Galatians 2.20, we see that Paul says, as we identify in Christ, we are adopted into what? 
We're adopted into that relationship. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through law, Christ died for nothing. Well, we know that, that, that righteousness couldn't be gained through the law. It's through the grace of Jesus Christ that we have received this imputed righteousness. So what? We could be restored into a relationship with God the Father. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. When you say yes to Jesus, you identify with Him. You identify with the life, death and resurrection. You identify with the salvation that He offers you surrender to what? To the implementer of the plan, who is what? The saviour of the world, the head of the church, the head of our life. I love this. By this act, that very act of Jesus coming down and implementing the redemption plan of the Father who sent him out of love, we become his siblings. Now, before you go like, wow. We use this terminology because it gives you a good, clear illustration of what has taken place. There is a difference, however, between you and Jesus, me and Jesus, right? When I was a young kid, I, I, I remember sitting in a service, I think I was 10 years old, and the pastor gets up, and I can't remember his name, it's probably a good thing, um, preaches this whole sermon that because of Jesus, because of what he's done, because he's, he's, he's made a way for us to be back in relationship with God, we're now, we're now gods with a little G. I remember as a 10-year-old going, that's weird. If that's the case, why does my mum always find out when I've done stuff wrong? If I was a god with a little G, and then if we're all little gods, who's the most powerful god? Doesn't that sound like a previous conversation we read in the Bible? Well, who's, who's going to be positioned higher in heaven? Right? We see the disciples bubble it down to the same concept. No, we're not little gods. We're broken people redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and that we've been given righteousness so that we could be found worthy to stand in the presence of God. If that, that shouldn't make you feel like a, a God. That should humble you. Jesus is the divine, sinless Son of God. Son of the Father by nature, by very nature, whereas we are sinners who have been adopted in by Him. We've been adopted in. Jesus Himself said as much when he told Mary Magdalene after his resurrection to go to his disciples, whom he now called brothers. Before he doesn't call them his brothers. Tell them what, has, what was about to happen. So we're going to read about this. He says in John 20, 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father, your Father, to my God, your God. So when we say we've become siblings, we've been adopted in. But what I love about this is that Jesus clearly knows that there's a shift and change after his resurrection. The gap has been bridged, restoration and redemption achieved to the point that when he returns, he changes the proper noun from disciples, though they still are, to brothers. Brothers in what? 
brothers that have been adopted into the relationship of the Trinity. By nature, we're not children of God. Like, I mean, sinful nature. As his creation, we have nothing in common with that pure, perfect divine being after the fall. That is the, that is the issue of the curse. That's what sin did to us. Now all of a sudden, when you realise that it was like, ah, oh, yeah, I ate, ate from the tree of, oh, I'm so sorry. And there was a big consequence. There's a big problem. See what the garden represents, the eternal city. We're cast out of that, not just out of the garden, out of the relationship, out of the centre of the universe. This is like big problem, Right? That has been our nature until Christ has come. That has been our inheritance until Christ came. We have nothing without Christ. But by the indwelling presence of His Holy Spirit, we have been integrated. And I love that, integrated into the life of the Trinity. Integrated through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that takes place when we what? Identify with Jesus. When we identify with the life, death and resurrection. Paul writes this in Galatians 4, verse 6 to 7. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In practical terms, the relationship that the Son has given us with God, the Father, is beautiful. It's same, same, but different. Same, same, but different. I'm going to use a term here that helps explain it in a way that I hope that you receive it so that you don't leave here confused. Sometimes when I think about this stuff, I'm like, it makes sense to me. Then I'll talk to Pastor Emma and she's like, those words didn't make sense. You need to explain them. Sometimes I'm like, no. (laughs) But then sometimes I'm like, yeah, I should. That's true. This is a biology term. And I hope it helps you. The concept is anagulus. It's the the, the term that refers to body parts that have similar functions but different structures, such as wings of a bird and wings of an airplane. It's the same with us when it comes to the adoption in. We're sons. But Jesus is the son by nature, while we're the son by the redemption structure. Both wings, but same, same, but different. Similar purpose. See, in the son, we have become heirs to the father's kingdom, co-rulers with him, even judges of angels. Wow, now I am God with a little G. (laughs) 
Not so. See, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, do you, know, do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? He proceeds to tell us what our inheritance looks like so that we would not disregard our responsibilities here on earth right now. He's saying, hey, how important it is right now that we play our part to glorify the Father. This high calling comes with a responsibility tag. For just as the Son glorified His Father while on earth, so we, you and me, we too are called to glorify Him. Now we don't have time to read it, but John 17, 1 to 26, Jesus talks about this in depth. I, I asked you, go read that at some point this week. It'll bless you. See, we cannot do this, this whole understanding is we can't do it in our own strength, but only in and through the relationship that the Father has entered into with us through the Son and the Holy Spirit. Is this making sense? I hope so. Everything. I mean, everything they do is done in relation to the Father. So everything that we are called to do must be done in the context of obedience to His will. His will, not our will. See, this is what I love about the Trinity is that it takes what we would get as some people is like, well, if it's the will of the Father. And we say that because sometimes we have a lack of faith and we we just don't want to believe for more. But then on the other side of the spectrum, we're like the Holy Spirit wants us to achieve the impossible. And you just didn't have enough faith. We've heard these these spectrums, right? But but they they can't actually exist. They don't exist in the Trinity. Those things don't exist. Not on that level. See, yes, of course we want it to be the will of the Father. Well, He's given us a plan and a purpose. And it's implemented in our life through our relationship in Christ. And it's administered throughout our life by the Holy Spirit. See, a lot of these attitudes are either you know, driven by fear and doubt or they're driven by a hope that we can somehow have a genie in the bottle moment, rub the lamp and get an answer. But none of them speak to a depth on one end or longevity on the other. This is an eternal relationship, not a flash in the pan here on earth relationship. So when we identify with Jesus, when we're like, yes, Lord, I accept that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved by the perfect one, the Lamb of God, the darling of heaven. Yes, I accept I surrender, I give you my life, I invite you in. That process of identifying in Christ then needs to progress into maturity. We can't keep having the I accept Jesus into my life conversation. Because the I accept Jesus into my life conversation is happening so that we can what? Bring glory to the Father. Jesus teaches us that by doing what he's taught us to do, by holding on to the principles, that we would become his disciples and becoming his disciples bring glory to the Father. 
Pastor Emma talked about holiness and it's profound. The concept is profound. And if there's anything that this generation, and when I say generation, I mean every Christian alive right now, this generation of the church needs to do. It needs to realign or constantly be reminded. Some of us do it well, we, some of us could do it better. Of the call to holiness. The Holy Spirit is to sanctify us. It's to help mature us into the full disciples of Christ. So each and every day, we would be giving and bringing a better gift of glory to the Father. The change is the glorification process. No change, where's the glory? Think about that. We've been called and adopted into this relationship so that we would play our part and be humbled in it. But for the goodness of God... And the love of God, this is what we've been created to do, to bring God glory, to make Jesus' name known, to be the outworking of the Spirit. Jeremiah 29, 11. Did you remember this one? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I asked last week, if you're here, to meditate on this. I picked this scripture verse, could have picked one of many because it's one of those ones that you either see on a birthday card as a Christian or tattooed on your mate's arm. I said last night that it'd be super holy if you got it in Hebrew. So if you did that, good job. But how do we, believers living in 2021, somehow inherit this scripture verse that was written thousands of years ago to an Israeli context of being in exile and occupation under a Babylonian empire for over 70 years. How does that apply to me? Outside of, like if I just take it and go, well, that's nice, it sounds good. Of course, that's my promise. How is that my promise? If I said to you, you have an inheritance and it's, it's a million dollars, it's actually an asset inheritance, a million dollars, it's a mansion. It's all yours. And you simply got the address tattooed to your arm. Wouldn't you think that's weird? You never went and checked it out? You never went and looked at the depth of that inheritance? What was actually given to you? Isn't that what we do? We take these promised words of Scripture and we get the address in the Bible, but we never fully investigate what that inheritance in Scripture is. For the, some of us, and I actually think COVID has aligned a lot of us, it has been a long season of suffering, of isolation, of confusion, of fear, of having to face inner demons, inner problems, the, the skeletons in the closet. There's been marriages that have been put under immense stress. There's been relationships in the workplace, like colleagues who haven't been able to see each other or they have to look through Zoom and there's this, this, un, you know, this non-personal, unhuman un- feeling to it. And there's been this crumbling of the need for community and we all know it's not just a church thing. And we wonder, when I look at that promise, it's made in a a season of extended hardship. What is my inheritance in this? What is your inheritance? Well, let's look at it through the, the heart of the Trinity. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Is this not the great planner himself, God the Father, Creator, Redeemer. I've got plans for you. 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Rich saying that to a nation that's just found itself in exile. Only rich if you look at it from an instantaneous point of view. We serve a God, we talked about this. He's not an ideal God in the sense that He doesn't look at what we find ideal and go, well, let me work in that for you. Let me be your perfect, ideal, most comfortable God. Because apparently in your thousand years of understanding yourselves, you've been really good at leading, directing and creating a, an environment that's healthy. So I guess let me fit into your picture. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not harm you. Well, that now that I'm being restored in relationship with the Father through the Son, I know the heart of the Father. It's one of love. It's one of grace. It's one of faithfulness and provision and mercy. If my season looks like this right now, it's because it's a part of His great plan. Plan to what? To prosper me. And though it might be hard, it's not harming me on the level that I think it's going to. It's probably stretching me. It's probably a good stretch, a good pain, a good uncomfortability because He's creating in me a character that's going to be worthy of change, worthy to carry the the glory that He's asked me to carry. He's doing a good work in me. Church, arise and advance is a good theme for us because when we say, for I know the plans and we declare it over us, it doesn't matter of our current hardship. It matters about the characteristics of the Father. He's a planner. He's a creator. He's a redeemer. Plans to give you a hope. Is this not the Son of God? Is Jesus not our great hope, our great reward? When I read this, I know that the plan, yes, we've been given a plan, but He's given us an implementer of the plan. He's given us hope to see it through. His name is Jesus. And so when we call on the name of Jesus, we're calling on our great hope that allows us to inherit the faith that needs the plan to be outworked. This is the exciting part. I give you hope and His name is Jesus. Redemption, freedom, no longer a slave. Our hope is Jesus. And a future, who's going to administer the future for us? Oh man, I can tell you who is. The Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Bible says that He is a teacher. He is a convictor. He is the mighty counsellor, our comforter. See, once change has happened, once the implementation's taken place, well, the Holy Spirit is going to empower us to see it through church. Arise in advance. This is not outside of the Trinity. This is found within the fundamental truth that at the centre of the universe is a relationship. And Jesus talks about this in John 14. And we're going to finish on this. And I pray it blesses you. 14, 15 to 27, it says this. If you love me, keep my commands. And I'll ask the Father and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him for He lives with you and will be in you, not beside you, not just in front of you, not behind you, but in you. It's no longer God just with me, it's God in me. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. 
you will also and you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. You know, Jesus says some crazy stuff in His ministry and He says some scary things as well. And one of the things He says, or one of the things He talks about is this imagery of someone living their life as, 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 as morally good as they thought. And I did this and I did that, but they didn't do it through Christ. and They didn't do it for the glory of God. It was really for their own agenda. And the Bible says that Jesus teaches that that, that very person gets into heaven and God Himself says, I do not know you. It is possible for us to live our lives as fake Christians, get to heaven in front of the beamer seat of Christ and be like, I I do not know you. Then Judas, not Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us, but not not to the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. See how He connects love to obedience. Love to obedience. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. That is such a beautiful promise. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. He doesn't leave any room for movement. No gray areas here. Love equals obedience. Not love equals disobedience. That's actually been the narrative throughout time. These words you hear are not my own. I love this. They belong to the Father who sent me. He's communicating of the very triune nature of our God. God the Father, God the Son. And then He says this, All of this I've spoken while still with you. But the Advocate... The threefoldness of God, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Church, right now, as we end the series of the creeds, and we've said that the creeds were designed to help the church remain aligned to the deep fundamental truths of the gospel. And one of the key things is this three-in-one nature of our God. We serve one God. Eternally exists in three distinct persons. And these three distinct persons are equally divine in essence and attributes. But to just leave it there and not realise that all of Scripture needs to be looked through that fundamental truth would rob you, like I said, of the great inheritance that the Word says is ours, not to come after death, but right here in life, that we would be that nation that would outwork the great call, which is to make the name of Jesus known throughout the land, throughout the world, in every nation, every city, every town, every village and household. Why? To the glory of the Father. And how? Through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Church, as we go back into worship and in a moment, Luke's going to come up and share communion with us, which is a beautiful opportunity for us to reflect on being adopted back in 
to the life of the Trinity, taking our seat at the Father's table. In this moment of worship and communion, would you take the time to think about all the promises God's given you, all the words He spoke to you, and realise that it needs to be outworked through the Trinity and us. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.